I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Until we marinate young lads in stories of good men, how do they get shaped? You know, there are things that we can find that are about boys doing great things. There's a potential for them to go in that direction. But if all they see are all those negative voices and hours of porn, well, you are not going to create that to be the man that people look up to and people enjoy to be with. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Wild. Some of you here may have noticed that I've been focusing a bit on boys and men, and you can catch up on a previous episode I did to this effect about the issue of porn with a former porn addict, Connor Beaton, um, as well as a, a series of Substack posts that explore porn, marriage gaps, Andrew Tate, the guru phenomenon, and a whole bunch of other issues. And I'll put the links to those in the show notes. Now, I've been primarily interested in the topic because masculinity, toxic and otherwise, comes up so often here on this wild podcast, but also on my Substack. It's woven into issues as varied as AI, climate, cognitive biases, Indigenous issues, existential risk, the whole lot. We also live in a world that feels increasingly determined by the behaviour and actions and interests of a particular subset of well-men, such as Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Andrew Tate, Putin and the various Middle East protagonists. It's easy, of course, to essentialise things down to one sex or one set of gendered behaviours. But increasingly, I've become uncomfortable with, and to be honest, I'm increasingly being picked up on my own lazy use of, phrases like old white men and toxic masculinity. There are clearly lots of factors, issues, trends and so on contributing to the issues playing out. And by reverting to unnuanced phrases like these or shutting down conversations with these kinds of remarks, I feel it stops the conversation from going down deeper into the systemic, more nuanced and super worrying factors that are at the bottom of these issues, factors that implicate all of us. In addition, it doesn't help the problem in any way. It injures boys and men and I suspect sees them retreat further into problematic behaviours and life choices. In essence, these kind of generalised phrases and outpourings, of which, as I say, I can often be guilty of, it tends to polarise and fragment things, the whole world, even further, which is an outcome I think we need to avoid as a number one priority at all times at the moment. Now, at the same time, it is tragically unavoidable that the reality is boys and men are in trouble. In countless studies globally, and albeit with some variation country to country, pessimism levels are way higher for boys than girls. The uptick on depression rates is now higher among boys than girls. Three-fifths of all bachelor's and master's degrees are awarded to girls. Boys are at least twice as likely to be diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and twice as likely to be suspended. Their dropout rates, too, are considerably higher than those of their female counterparts. Young men are also four times as likely to die from suicide. And then, of course, increasingly sophisticated technology that's kind of playing out all around us is more likely to ensnare boys than girls in more dangerous 
ways with gaming and AI girlfriends and porn and information silos, fake news and so on, which has already seen boys retreating from real life and humanity. In many ways, this occasional series on masculinity will attempt to have the conversation that is required that can cover off some of these deeper factors at play, the factors behind the generalizations, behind the frustrations and and fed upness. Now, today I'm joined by Maggie Dent, the Australian parenting expert variously referred to as the queen of common sense and the boy champion. Australian and American listeners, you've probably come across her no-nonsense books. She's published nine on parenting with a focus on boys, including The Best Sellers from Boys to Men and Mothering Our Boys, or you may have heard her on her podcasts, The Good Enough Dad and Parental as Anything. In conversations I mentioned I've been having on this topic, things generally distill down to how do we shift things? How do we raise boys who won't perpetuate the cycle, who can grow into a thriving version of masculinity? Is it about role modelling? Is it about holding boys back a year at school? Is it about a multi-generational movement, a bit like feminism, to free men from the shackles of dysfunctional gender stereotyping that holds them back in a changed world? These are questions for parents, for passionate boy champions like myself, and for the whole of society. And I put them to Maggie in this very meandering conversation that I make little attempt to rein in because, like many subjects today, I don't think what we were addressing should be forced into a linear dialogue. Now, by the way, I did a call out on social media and Substack for questions, and a lot came in. Many of it overlapped, and so I wove the theme of these questions into the meander. I hope you enjoy. Oh, Maggie, what a relief to be sitting opposite you after years of following your work. And look, you know, for listeners, we were just sitting outside having a bit of a chat. We have so much in common, don't we? Yeah, frighteningly so. Yeah, could have easily grown up in the same neighbourhood. I'm a little bit nervous. You are not. Or is excited? Excited. I'm excited as well because I really do enjoy, no matter what the topic, conversations with people who are a good couple of decades ahead of me in their questioning, particularly women who have arrived at a very comfortable place in who they are and what they have to offer. You know, the real warriors, you know. You mean the crones? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, like our deep care Mm. now feels really comfortable. You know, we've got a mission and we kind of, we're strapped in. Yeah. And I I think really when I began this journey, when I kind of accidentally deviated from what I thought I was going to do for my life and went on this journey, I really had no idea where it was going to go. And I still don't. I keep saying to my sons, wonder what I'm going to do when I grow up. But the kind of, you know, the humanity that was deeply embedded in me from my childhood and my love of humans and my love of kids I just, you can't put it down just because, you know. Golfing calls. Yeah, well, I've (laughs) a pin in my eye. Yes, Um, me too. You know what I mean? And I think I've just been given a privilege that opportunities have opened up for me. I didn't go fighting for them that have allowed me to be kind of like the unofficial grandmother really of many people. Yeah. Well, speaking of your sort of trajectory, you've arrived at a point where you're sort of the champion of boys in Australia, if not the world. And I'd love you just to give a bit of an overview for anyone who's a bit new to your work as to how you came to, I guess, love, understand and have so much compassion for boys. Yeah. And Sarah, let me start with that disclaimer I do in all my seminars and my books is that I am completely aware there's not an all girl box and there's an all boy box. And also that how we become on this planet has to do with epigenetics and ancestry and neurodiversity and trauma and all sorts of things. However, over the years, my observations as a high school teacher and as a mum of four sons and as a community member, I kept questioning them that things were coming up in certain ways. So then when I do any of my work, I do a survey and say, look, have I got this wrong? What's going on? And that has given me, you know, the lens that says there are some things that are uniquely atypical for, you know, around 70% of our kids. So as I go in any of our conversations, take you know, that into care. Your son may be the talkative, heart-sharing, beautiful, soft soul. That doesn't mean to say he's any less valid. And that's one of my big messages as we move from the patriarchal system saying you have to be the winner, the loudest, the biggest, the, that we are now recognising the world is full of 
of, of big men with gentleness and, and compassion. So, yeah, the journey, yeah, I think probably being born on a farm, I'm on the fifth of six, two older brothers and a younger brother and obviously two sisters because that's yeah. what they were. We do the sums. Do the sums. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think also because my mum wasn't a warm mum, my dad was my attachment person. So anytime I was distressed and I called out at night, it was my dad that came. So all of those things imprint you in a slightly different way when you go to explore it later. I didn't realise that some of the behaviours of me as a child and some of the things that happened were really trauma-driven. So the nightmares, the chronic bedwetting, the sleep talking, the sleep walking. And I think it helped me have the empathy that I have for anyone who's got a wound and who's struggling to be, you know, who they want to be. Yeah. And you went on to have four sons and, you know, I mean, a very boy-centric life. So, you know, that's something. And, and of course, you were a school teacher. Mm. And I, mean, I taught co-ed, so I had both. So I could see them <laughs> yeah. in the classroom. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought up that sort of disclaimer piece because I, I wanted to do the same. I... I think can be readily accused of making generalisations, sweeping statements, and I need to be careful of it. So Maggie, can you pull me up if I do do that? But I think we also do need to kind of have shorthand to actually get to the issues that we're all concerned about here, you know, and there, there are some really distinct issues at play here for boys and men and by implication, the rest of us. So look, as some framing, this conversation that we're having comes off the back of a bunch of conversations I've had on Wild, but also on Substack for a couple of years now. And I'll put links to all of those in the show notes for anyone who wants to catch up on it. But quite often, a number of the issues that we discuss, whether it's AI, whether it's effective altruism, whether it's existential risk, the climate crisis, a lot of it can stem back to the problem of toxic masculinity and, you know, an escalation in toxic masculinity, perhaps in response to a world that's struggling to cope with a lot of change, but in particular to a bunch of, you know, narcissistic, uber-powerful men. So we're talking Elon Musk, we're talking Trump, we're talking uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Putin, and, you know, we can extend it out to the Andrew Tates and so on of the world. So at the same time, though, boys are struggling. We see the studies coming in about the diseases of despair, the suicide rates, boys are falling behind at school, at a university level, gaming, incels, you know, pornography. It's just going on and on and on. So the question I often get asked in the comments section and afterwards and in conversations around the place is what's happening to boys and, and men And what should we be doing to help? Now, that's a very, very big question. It's a lot to unpack, but I think it might be worthwhile starting off with some sociological stuff. Sarah, I want to start with one thing and then I'd like to correct. I don't see toxic masculinity. I see toxic males because, uh, you know, I basically think the world's full of more good men than the lousy ones, but we just hear the lousy ones. The world and our news and our media does nothing but marinate us in stories of badly behaved men who are exactly what you were describing, who unfortunately can influence our emerging boys. So that's the first thing. And there are toxic females, let's be honest. It it took me a while to understand that the way that we speak about boys and girls starts to shape us early, okay? So when I had my third boy, I had all these people coming up to me going, oh, I'm sorry for you, you know, like, oh, you poor thing, you didn't get a girl. And I'm thinking... Okay, it's a bit unusual. And then when I had the fourth, I even had someone who lit candles in the local Catholic church because she felt so devastated (laughs) for me. And that is a really common response to a lot of particularly mums who have only boys. It's like the magic is you've got to have a daughter. You know, when you look at it, and those stats you're talking about, I've started to see them years ago, you know, that and in Australia, particularly in Queensland and WA, you know, four to six little boys get suspended or expelled from pre-primary and early primary. That means that whatever the environment is that we have for those boys doesn't suit those boys. So the very first things that's impacted boys is they have different developmental needs than most girls. So that when they're in, in the utero, when the testosterone kicks in to turn that little fetus into a boy, it slows down brain development which means that when they're born, they're already developmentally behind. And then there's also a study that shows if you test the cord blood at birth, 
there is a really significant link between high testosterone blood on, on the cord and difficulty learning to read. So we're now starting to sort of think, oh, hang on. So it's not just whether you're a girl or a boy. So in that window, and Steve Benoff writes about this a lot, is the fact that their capacity to bond isn't as good as girls from the get-go. And as you know, attachment shapes everything. And even there was one study that said if you pick up, you know, a three-month-old baby out of a cot, most girls will lock straight onto the face and the boys will look at the mobile Behind the parent yeah. or, you know, yeah, whatever's, whatever's bigger and brighter. Yeah. So all of those things incrementally keep on making it more difficult for them to interact with the world. And then when they launch off your lap, you know, they are wired to move. And the movement part is exactly what they're meant to be doing. And also they are later to develop their verbal linguistic, you know, left brain, which is logic, linguistics and language. And then we keep, you know, we assume, and I've seen it in early childhood sometimes, you know, and early childhood educators say to a boy, use your words. He's actually unable to do that yet. But also this is the window where big feelings launch as well. So they get into trouble far more often because they're spontaneous, impulsive, active, don't necessarily hear you overly, all of those things. So what happens quite early is they start getting shamed for being an atypical, healthy, developing boy, whereas the girl who sits nicely and can answer questions, she's getting... So Rewarded. It, yeah, yeah, so she's... So, so we sort of like, and that was my biggest thing in mothering our boys, was to let mums know, particularly the ones who'd never had a brother or, you know, a difficult relationship with their dad that these things are actually how they're developing in a healthy way and our job is to help them, you know, through that. Are we giving them, you know, enough movement? And then what do we do? We, we stole the age of five in Australia and we shoved formalised learning down into it, which means this window means we're putting boys into an environment where they're going to fail more. And that goes back to the key difference, I think, in, you know, girls and boys is the self-worth for little boys and often men is did I do good? So sometimes it's competition. I want to win. I want to jump. That's why I keep recommending you have a lot of cushions to hit targets in your lounge room (laughs) so they don't throw hard things. But also sometimes a boy may in his mind say, I want to build that Duplo tower right up the top and they have a vision. And then if often a well-meaning parent comes in and says, right, it's time to get in the car, we're going, pack it away. We've just ripped the boy's self-worth and he's got this mildly pissed offness that we wouldn't even understand. It's one of the golden gems that I've had from so many mums who've said that they do that before school instead of watching TV, but I was getting them to pack it away every day. Now I say, if you haven't finished it, you can finish it later. The shift. One little boy sat in the back of his car and said to mummy, mummy, this is the best day of my life. And she'd forgotten what she'd even done. And she said, why is that? And he said, because I can finish what I started. So I think it was the misunderstanding of the developmental trajectories that I wanted mainly mums to know. Dads kind of get it, but they couldn't explain it. They kind of get the need to move and jump and be all those things. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I think I was probably about 25 before I realised that affection wasn't about going in for a crash tackle. Yes. Or not everybody responds that way. Like you know, I was in relationships with men, you know, in sort of my late teens, early 20s, where sort of a, a punch and a wrestle was how I showed affection. But I grew up with that. And I and I interpret that kind of rough and tumble as a version of, of affection. It's aggression nurturance, which Michael Gurian writes about. And we misinterpret that. So sometimes when I'll have a mum saying, oh my God, they're forever wrestling in the house. They're always slapping each other. And, and I'm going, you know what? That means they're actually really getting on quite well because they don't say, gee, I really love playing with you. Will you come and play with me? No, they'll do all those things. And then, of course, as a high school teacher, oh, the 14-year-old boy just turned into a bit of a Neanderthal ape, you know, wanting to slap and grab and they get busted like hell for a drive that is actually trying to show some affection. And it's another confusing thing too. Like why is it? that the banter and the teasing is so much more amongst boys. And then I, I look at it, if they, if they struggle to express their feelings of affection, then how do they do it? So often, even men will have the worst possible nickname for the guy who they think <laughs> is their the best mate. Yeah. And we can misunderstand that as disrespectful or, you know, so men are starting to discover 
you know, that there are things they actually can say that they really, really love their mate or, and I did it in a high school once, I sort of said to them, that was in the days where I was, you know, presenting to well, co-ed but also boys. And I said, you know what, just tell your mate that he's okay, that we're thick and we're it, dude, we're okay, bro, I love you, bro. And I thought, man, that's going to land like a bomb, right? And when they were walking out, they were hugging each other and high-fiving. And I know they just need to know that's okay and it's not a sign of weakness. Yeah, yeah. You've brought up a hell of a lot there. (laughs) A couple of things that you've brought up that I think speak to the sociological situation that we find ourselves in. The school system is not entirely suited for boys. The school system features female teachers predominantly, so that has a part to play in this. Before I jump ahead on that, what's your thoughts on, I think it's called redshirting in the US. Richard Reeves has talked about this in his latest book, this idea of holding boys back a year, even two years from starting school so that they start at the age of six, potentially seven, and they're at a a level where they can quote, unquote, compete with women on more of a level playing field. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so the whole concept of them not being ready around five, I'm completely comfortable with. And then it's not so much the school, it's what you're doing at the school, right? Because if you look in Finland, you know, they're into those sorts of environments, but they don't do formalised learning until around seven. And also there are some fantastic community kindies and pre-primaries and, you know, daycares that are very you know, nature-based pedagogy, lots of democratic input from children, lots of freedom. So if that's what they're doing, it makes a very different growth trajectory. But when they start those ones and, you know, fine motor skills, this is another one of those things we know quite clearly that boys really don't develop that. Steve Benoff would argue it starts with core strength and goes to this whereas girls start with that and end up in core strength around eight. So, yeah, you're signifying yep. fine motor yep, skills. Yep. colouring in within the lines, gluing beautifully. So girls beautifully. do fine tuning and, uh, yep. you know, and fine sort of motor skills and, yep. then, and then get stronger and, Yeah, later. so around eight it evens out. And so when we keep putting a boy to do a task that he's actually developmentally unable to do, he sees himself as a failure. And I share the example of, you know, um, sticking legs on a caterpillar on the egg carton and that quite often, you know, the little boy has, has done three legs and then races outside. Now, the reason he's gone outside could be one of a couple of things. But one is he's just looked at the girl next to him who's got all 12 legs with sparkles equally distant. And he's thought, well, I can't, can't do that. Or he's done that beautiful pragmatic thing that I find in boys and men. It's done three, nailed it, going to go and play. Yeah, right. Got it? It's a really weird paradox, isn't it? Yes. Lack of self-confidence and then over-self-confidence. That's it. So, and also we, oh my God, we're still doing the shaming. And this is a really big thing I think drives male aggression as teenagers and in men in relationships is that we just shame the hell out of boys because we think they're tough. This is the biggest illusion I've been trying to pull down. Boys are tough and girls aren't. It's a big pile of crap. I think also we think that the other messages that we use with girls aren't getting through. We get we get met with blank expressions or retaliation or deflection. And so then we go to something that we feel could actually get cut through to them and oh, injure them. Yeah. It's simple. If a, if a child stumbles and falls over, the way that we tend to approach them is tends to be different. Like for, for a boy, quite often we go, yeah, yeah, you're right, mate, you're tough, you get up. For the girl, we'll lean over with this incredibly, you know, soft voice saying, are you okay, sweetheart? Can I help you? And what I keep saying is any child who falls over, we lean towards them and say, are you okay or do you need a grown-up's help? None of the intonation in the voice suggesting. And that, that boys are tough stuff. That's one of the biggest things that I pull apart and I can see faces when I'm talking about it, the vulnerability developmentally, not just with the brain development and the inability to necessarily understand feelings and language. It is that they are more likely to struggle with social connection and acceptance and they are some more, they're much more likely to get impacted by food in their gut. So they're much more sensitive, right? So so much going on. And, you know, I don't, this is a slight deviation. I'm sure you don't mind going I've done anything but deviation so far, Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) But I keep wondering what it is about men and poo that they seem to, Take so long, and that was Have even you got before a, a phone. Oh, t- taking so long! I thought Not about an, their obsession with talking about it. But oh no, same, no, no, same, that's really. a performance. Mm, you okay. see, as a little boy, I've done a big performance. I'm going to come and tell you about it. And <laughs> I had a little boy come to our house quite often. He'd he'd never flush, and I said to him one day, "Hey, mate, why don't you flush?" He says, "My mum likes to look at my poo," and I said, "Well, I don't, so you can flush at my house." But it's a performance. But also, you've got to be calm to poo. So we do know. Yes. 
we know that little boys are late. It's the last stage of development. They'll often want to put a nappy on. They're very sensitive and they're very sensitive to pain in that area. And then they don't poo at school, like, and it was... That's a thing, isn't it? It's stress. So we've got to recognise they're far more likely to be impacted by stress than we've ever understood, and we've been telling them to toughen up. Mm, okay, so we've danced around from the idea of red shirting. I get, if I was to sort of sum that up, you do agree that we've got to actually allow, what did you call it? We stole the age of five. Yeah, so we might need to allow them more time if, it, if the system is driven by formalised learning. But the answer might not be stigmatising the situation no. by leaving them out of school is what no. I'm reading, yeah. reading so there. So another year of kindy, pre-primary reception, whatever it is, in a play-based situation, your boy's going to grow beautifully and be far more ready. Mm, okay. So school has a part to play in all of this and the fact that it's very female orientated, girl orientated, but with also with teachers. Then you've also got, you know, more broadly a lack of male role models happening. And the number, I think in America, one in four kids grow up in a fatherless household. And the statistics are astonishing for, I think, crime, suicide rates, etc. Literacy, everything. Everything is affected by not having that father figure in the house. And so I think we can see that that would have a big part to play in how boys transition from the mother figure into their new role as not little boys, but older boys, teenagers, and then men, right? That Then on top of that, the institutions that would assist in that, so initiation ceremonies perhaps, but even the scouting movement, even sports like contacts, team sports, they're disintegrating, you know? And so there's there's that I would imagine that you're picking up on there. Um, and then we go back one step. We know that when boys feel safe, they behave better. So the number one thing that comes up so often is a girl can cope with a teacher who's not very warm and friendly, but a boy, oh my God, if he thinks the teacher likes him, he will bust his gut, not only to behave as best he can, but to try and do things he wouldn't try for a person who doesn't think likes him. That's enormous in terms of the schooling journey. So that's safety issue. But as we move forward, when I asked the dads in the From Boys to Men one, who influenced them the most in the adolescent window? Who was their safest person? 56% were their mother. And so I I want us to know that there are times our dads are stepping up. Now, let's just own this as one of the most amazing things in Australian culture and society is, and probably why I was so keen to, you know, step up and do the good enough dad is dads are turning up. They want to be there. They want to be part of this, what I call team parent. But as they keep telling me, there's no handbook, right? And my dad wasn't that. So, So what we're seeing is a shift in their awareness that they do matter and that they can really make a positive difference in homes. And that, to me, is is a celebration. However, our boys at the moment who are transitioning from middle school through high school are getting marinated because of the digital world in more things that are going to make the opposite of that. I'm worried about their capacity for empathy. We know that empathy drops in a significant number of boys between, you know, 12 and 14. They don't need any more, any less empathy. So in the less empathy window, they're getting exposed to people who will shape the way they see not only themselves but women and life. And it's difficult, you know. So when you've when you've got them in either fabulous programs that celebrate and support all boys, regardless of whether you're the, you know, alpha male and you're the smartest or the one who wins the trophy at sport. If you're, you know, they just let's celebrate everyone. You know, the diversity is is, is a really big yeah. thing that we have to do because the, the patriarchy kind of had only a, one box really, you know, the tough and the, usually white and coming from a nice house and all those rubbishy sorts of, not rubbishy, but at the end with, of the day. With the message that, oh, well, I got here by pulling myself yes. up by bootstraps. Yeah. Get what I mean? And I think one of the beautiful things is we're seeing now that owning sensitive boys and sensitive young lads and sensitive men is now completely okay, mm. which is great. Okay. So the other thing is we know that you can shape a teenage boy in that window faster than ever, which is exactly what our traditional kinship communities did. As soon as a boy got to early puberty, he was taken under the wing. So he'd been with women mostly. So this is where they learnt their empathy, their humanness, their... All of that was marinated into them before they went on that journey. And so they had both. 
yeah. essentially. And it's quite traumatic for both boys and girls to that to leave that mother you know, sort of embrace. But it was always understood boys need to transition into into teenage boys, into men. So, yes, that initiation process was also done by men and it was a stepping forward. So it wasn't just parenting. It wasn't just fathering. It was a community that would see that that transition is particularly hard for boys and needs to be done almost as a ritual, a ceremony and celebrated and to be made really safe. And a step by step. So you weren't recognised as a man because you turned 18 or 21. You were recognised as a man because those around you have decided you're capable with them, you're responsible, but you also have to do something a bit scary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we're meeting a lot of men today who are just boys in men's bodies, who are not responsible, accountable, who blame everyone else in the world, who just want to, you know, drink or do whatever and have fun. And unfortunately, they're having children. Yes, and without the other structures to step in and, and maybe fill the gaps where they're unable to to do the job themselves. Okay, so, all right, you've added some extra layers there. That sociological piece where we're not supporting as a community because those structures have been removed from the system. You also brought up the hormones uh, as a very real thing, the testosterone, but the Y chromosome issue as well. Like that male fragility element, as it's been referred to, is really fascinating. And what's really fascinating, Maggie, is, and you brought it up a minute ago, that paradox where boys are aware of this fragility and then they go into sort of an expression that's not particularly attractive of overcompensation for it. and Denial and overcompensation. Yeah, denial, overcompensation and blame and a bunch of things. So, yeah, I find all of that particularly interesting. One of the things, and and this is a question that I've been asked repeatedly and I've been really holding off from reaching out to you and asking if you could help me with it. It comes up in the forums on my Substack in conversations with men and a bit like yourself, I imagine, having grown up with so many boys, I have probably more male friends than female friends. It's got a lot to do with availability. Men, when they're in child-rearing years, can get away from the family. True, but not wholly satisfying. Anyway, the thing is, I get asked repeatedly, Sarah, what should we as men be doing about this? And my answer is often, well, look, I'm a woman. I can only do so much as a role model. I really feel personally that the lack of really broad role modelling is a really key issue here. And in that vacuum, in steps Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, destructive, you know, the man tribe, the broadcasters that sort of push this old school masculinity. And so I sort of say to these men, you need to work it out. This is a discussion that I feel that men need to be having. And I said, I guarantee you, people, women like me, we're we're ready with, you know, the troops, we're with all the enforcements, we're here ready to support you in whatever you try to do because we're going to be excited by it. But I feel it needs to be a male-led or a man-led discussion. I often say men, I feel, need a sort of a, a masculism movement. We had feminism. I benefited from forebears who did 
who sacrificed and sacrificed a hell of a lot of their lives, you know, having children, they put they didn't have children so that they could dedicate themselves to to ensuring that the problematic aspects of our gender were were worked on. Well, how do you feel about that statement that men need to create a movement? They need to actually be taking this, taking charge of this. We don't have to call it masculism, but something like that. The good news it is actually happening. The Fatherhood Project, which I've been a part of for a number of years, began in Western Australia after, you know, Dr. Bruce Robinson was concerned that when men were dying, their biggest regret was I wasn't the dad I wanted to be and I'm not connected to my kids. Is that kids. the number one regret for, for men or in yeah, his studies? it's right up there yeah, with wow. his studies because they, there is this palpable regret. And so he began the project. Now it's right across Australia and it's doing amazing things. But not just that. There are fabulous men podcasts. Not only that, dads actually gather together now, whether it's over a beer or a coffee, and talk parenting. There are man walk, you know, these pram walking things where dads are meeting with babies and all just nutting it out. And I see that as it's happening already and I'm really excited about it. And then there's one other thing that we need to really address even more. When we recognise, you know, the adolescent journey is a pushback of parents, no matter how wonderful you've been. And even I was told I didn't know what I was talking about, even though, you know, hello, I did. We cannot let any boy be untethered from someone so the role of the lighthouse figure, you know, I've been banging on about it forever because, you know, it'd be wonderful if we all had that special relationship with someone in our lineage, you know, it's a grandparent. So the lighthouse right? person is somebody who they can look up to? Well, it's a person that they, that they feel valued by and respected by who steps in every now and then and gives them the guidance that they need and say, no, these pull your head in, that's not okay. Yeah. So it might be but a teacher, also a neighbour, totally. a soccer coach. Totally. Yeah. All of those sorts of things. We need to recognise that is exactly what our kinship communities did. It wasn't always family. It was actually our whole community has to step back forward and wrap our arms around our boys during that transformative window because if they, if they turn up to, you know, leave school and they're still feeling, you know, all of those big feelings and thinking they've got it worked out, you know that the boy's brain doesn't finish till 27 to 30. And we're also finding that the excessive use of gaming and online activities is actually delaying that prefrontal even more. So that, oh, no, no parent Not wanted to hear that right then. <laughs> I mean, no, that's just terrible. But I think it's the, if you start younger with big conversations, and it's how you communicate with boys. And I think that's probably something I feel really proud of that every now and then, you know, a dad will stop me and say, man, I just real, I was just shouting at him and getting angry at him. And I realised, then I heard you say, why don't you, you know, there's a different way. Mm-hmm. And if you can, they feel safe, they will open up. And this dad, <laughs> his son was really in trouble at school and the mum and him had tried everything and they'd, you know, taken everything off him and grounded him and gated him, all the old traditional carrot and stick stuff, which I can tell you now will not make it better. It'll ruin a relationship. He'd heard me on the radio with Richard Feidler, so he grabbed his son, walked in, he said to his wife, I'm going to try something different. Hey, bud, let's go for a walk. And he took him for a walk up to the local Maccas and they had a big bucket of chips and just, you know, no interrogation, just connected. And then on the way home, the boy started to cry and his dad held him while he sobbed and he said, what's happening at school is these year 11 boys are belting me up and they've said if I dob on them, they're going to cut me up with a razor. And, you know, the dad just, his heart just broke with it, right? And then by the time they got home, the boys just whipped through the door and his, his mum's looked at him and he said, who would have thought a walk and a bucket of chips? Yeah, yeah. Because when we work out, they do communicate quite often quite differently to most girls. And being seen and being heard, man, there's just, you know, there's... They've got little, slightly different ways of it. And when they feel no one sees me, in the latest book, the messages from teen boys were very much nobody understands what it's like to be us and we're always getting bagged at because we're this and we're this. And What's the point? What, yeah, why? You know, everyone thinks this is useless. And I think that's the same thing, that until we marinate young lads in stories of good men, and there are plenty, how do they get shaped Right? You know, there are things that we can find, even on TikTok, that are about boys doing great things, raising money for others or doing things for... So when they see that, there's a potential for them to go in that direction. But if all they see are all those negative voices and hours of porn, well, you are not going to create that to be the man you want, you know. So every now and then I keep saying to parents, you know, I want to help you be the, you know, the man that 
people look up to and people enjoy to be with. That's what we're hoping to do. And that's not going to help you doing that. Leave it. Yeah. I th- That idea of boys really resonating when they see the good stories totally. of good men. They, they cry. I think we're a culture that cries when we see it. We're so desperate to see it. And so that, sh- that sh- should be our modus operandi is to see more of that, is to kind of encourage this kind of behaviour rather than the clamping down, you know, that sort of positive approach to things. Yeah, so I, I kind of take from what you're saying in terms of what I would be able to say to some of these men mm. that reach out to me and, and ask me is be a lighthouse and yeah. you don't have to wait for the men's group. No. You don't have to wait for the revolutionary movement no. that has the, the Take clipboard. him fishing, take him walking, do whatever. Yeah. Step- Even if you sit down next to a boy who loves gaming and game with him, just let them feel connected because they feel so disconnected and unimportant and unloved. And, you know, the bottom line for every child, which is something we've seen, heard, valued and accepted for who we are and loved would be a bonus. Yeah, yeah. And you, I've heard you and I've read about you saying that for mothers, a way to bond, and this is going to horrify some <laughs> listeners, is to fart in front of your sons. Yeah, no, Maybe. random farts. I love no. it. <laughs> Look, and I, I know it sounds really crazy because it's connection. They're hungry for connection. And so what do most of us women want to do? We want to talk, right? And so often it just is – so the punch on the – you know, that whole connection physicality, the punch on the arm, the wrestle from behind. I used to sit on mine sometimes when I walk past yeah. them while they're watching TV. But when they're really grumpy and none of those things are working, it's the random fart. Honest to God, they cannot – Especially, you have to practice it, yeah. But I think, I mean, I've heard you talk about this. I just want to pick up on it because we we, we really aren't sticking to a a linear process in this conversation at all, but I'm loving it all. I I know that just going back to Michael Guerin's work, and I've heard you have a conversation with him on your podcast about the value of aggression. And I think for women, and and off air when we were just waiting Mm. for the studio to set up, we were talking about this. I grew up with, you know, four brothers. You grew up with three brothers. If anything, I actually am exceedingly grateful for kind of how robust it's made me. I mean, a lot of people refer to me as a tomboy, that I behave like a boy in some ways, but I think he's done some work that has shown that it creates a particular type of resilience. So in many ways, I'd like listeners to hear this so that they can actually reframe we're not talking we're not talking violence. We're talking that kind of charging at someone, punching them but not hurting them. The rough and tumble. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so part of that again, remember that physicality and what he calls aggression nurturance is is communicating and, you know, <laughs> connecting. So what can happen for little boys if we don't kind of give them some coaching? They might run up to say goodbye to their little mate who's leaving daycare. And because they haven't thought it through, punch him in the head accidentally and hurt him and be devastated by that. But what we do, we can teach him big high fives, dude, for farewell and hello. Let's practice, do lots of practicing. So there's a a way of connecting that is, is okay. And I think what the other thing is, and that we haven't touched on it really, Sarah, and that is that the biological drives that come from our earliest, you know, times as humans are still playing around in the background and whether or not, and when you combine it with estrogen or testosterone, it means we can be overcarers and our boys can be too rough. But what we actually know, and I say that, I never bought a gun for any of my boys, but they made them out of toast and Lego and, you know. And when you listen... You mean a toy gun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Not a real gun or a toy gun. (laughs) And one of the things that you'll find is that sometimes when they're doing what we call superhero play, they can do that quite spontaneously and really when all the research from the girlhood book showed that their most early childhood educators and parents said boys weren't very good at imaginative play with teddy bears or anything or role play. They were good with superhero play. So I believe it's driven by the fact that in early days their job was to protect and defend and keep us alive, kill the mammoths, kill the deer for dinner, practice killing. You know, there was something in it. And even, you know, even our gentlest men will lay their life down for people they love, right? So there's, so one of the things he said was we need to be okay with the rough and tumble play. We need to be okay however we can have boundaries. And I think that's the thing that said two of the boundaries says if it frightens other children, we need to step in and say, no, no, you can play that game over there. But you, And also let the girls in like you and me. 
because it's not just a boy thing. Sometimes that drive is in and that's what I'm saying. It's not a girl box and we shouldn't exclude the girls. And I think when we allow it, it plays itself out. And then it would be great, you know, if they were all keen to play, you know, sport and, you know, team sport where you work with others. We've had a 20% drop in outside play in, you know, that window. They're playing online. They're not playing in the world, which I'm concerned about because your emotional intelligence is built by your experiences of winning and losing and playing with others. And if you're playing less with them and you're already struggling with that at losing... That, that does worry me and that's why I'm such a massive play advocate and really my biggest toppest tip for all parents yes. is when you have children is try to be able to create opportunities where they can play outside in the wild space with potential risk with as many children as possible of both genders and <laughs> within a blood-curdling scream of a safe adult because in actual fact, and Peter Gray writes a lot about that with his work around play, is that is how children learn emotional intelligence. They don't learn it by you telling them to say yes and please and no and don't do that. They learn it by the bumps and the bruises of childhood play. And we've got to put it back there for girls and boys and for all ages because we keep on putting kids in silos now. So all the two-year-olds together, the three-year-olds together, you know. So the old stuff we used to do probably more even so in rural communities is kids, you know, there'd be 40 kids outside the tennis court yeah. all afternoon and there'd be few injuries. But that was the way Mother Nature intended all of our children to grow. So the boys would notice how the girls would deal with things. The girls would be noticing how the boys did things. Yes. And, and that speaks can... to something I talk a lot about, Maggie, is I think the segregated school system is highly problematic. I think a lot of issues stem from there because I think boys benefit from seeing girls in the classroom, not at the party drunk with their boobs out, you know, in the classroom, performing well, having to cooperate with them, learning how women can be really good at things and actually be comfortable with that and then finding their own place in it all. So, you know, and Australia, I think, has got some of the hi- the highest, some of the states have some of the highest ratios of private single sex schools in the world. And I think that says a lot about where Australia is at. And but- I, I'm going to plug something in there too, that I have visited a lot of these, many of these high quality schools, and there has been a shift in the way that they are raising the boys in those schools. You know, I you can distinctly hear it and see it. There's a lot more now lot more interaction with the girl colleges. So they are, yeah. I believe, addressing it. But I think sometimes we miss hearing the way that a boy sees the solution to something and a girl because sometimes the two together can make a really good yes. solution, right? Yeah. And rather than one being right and the other being wrong. Twice as good. And I think that could be great yeah. in politics. Don't you think so? Well, look, why don't we just get out there and change the world? One one, one fart with a boy at a time. <laughs> look, there's so many questions that did come f- forward from a call out that I did. People have a lot of questions for you. I think we've covered off a number of them. Can we talk a little bit about grief and loss? Because in my Go background, not only did we see it a lot on the farms and things, so we're exposed to it. So you get to be better at it. No question. We have to start talking to little boys at a young age. I keep saying, get a guinea pig early so that it dies. <laughs> yes. Because if you're on a farm, you see it all the time. Yeah. But you don't when you're not on a farm. They need to know that the heart hurting is because you really are attached to that creature. It doesn't work with a dead kangaroo on the side of the road. We need them to know this is actually normal and healthy. It's because you've actually had feelings and affection for something. And that, yeah, it can be hard. I mean, multiple losses are even more difficult for us to process. Look, I think I have managed to cover off a lot of the questions that people did send in in this rambling chat, which has been very helpful. But I do want to move briefly on to men. You do work in that realm as well. And we've touched on a couple of topics here. You've started up a new podcast, A Good Enough Dad. And I'm somewhat intrigued by the title and the premise of this. And what I gather is an intentional title that promotes a sort of a a bar that's a a little bit lower than a fabulous dad. (laughs) Was there a specific intent there that speaks to an outcome? And what I'm trying to say here, Maggie, is I think think we would like to have really, really good men, men who are flourishing and are actually contributing to society at a level that's progressive and nurturing and is not about fracturing, polarising, you know, sort of beating 
beating other people. Explain to me how what you're doing with that podcast might be contributing to that outcome. So what dads tell me in the seminars I ran for Dads Only was they would beat themselves up for quite small things and and carry it for days. But what they were missing were the things that we're actually doing that were pretty good. So good enough dads are going to be ones that muck up, but also step back up. But the other bit is that I want them to own, yeah, a muck up so we can all laugh because seriously, the head count one, I I mucked up on that one too and ended up home without one of my kids who was still at the pool. (laughs) Technically half dad's fault because he was there and I thought he had him. He thought anyway. That doesn't define how our children grow. In actual fact, they need us to make mistakes and to repair them and to to go... see how we repair them. Totally. Because there is no perfect human, no perfect mum, no perfect dad. And then what I'm hearing is, wow, how deep they go when I ask, what is your number one fear? Or what would you say to yourself if you went back to that time? Because many of them thought they were ready. They had no idea what was coming. And they owned the bits that that were the most difficult. So I think what the the intention was, because we did want dads to listen to it. If I said how to be the perfect dad, no, no dad would listen, mm. is that the good enough dad isn't a perfect guy, but he's a guy who's absolutely committed. And doesn't give up. And he's never going to give up. And I think those messages have been heartwarming. I can't believe how many times I've cried and how, how many times men have cried. Some of the ones coming again, really powerful stories of men just saying, you know, this is, this is what I learned. And I think one of them is Joe Williams, you know, the Indigenous amazing NRL footballer who also is a boxer. He said he was a, you know, I can't remember the exact year, but he said I was a dad for, you know, 18, I mean, I was a father for 18 years, but a dad only for the last four when he woke up to the fact that he could do it with his heart and be more present. And yeah, and I think that those messages dads are are hearing. Yeah. It's funny. I, I find myself crying a lot around that kind of stuff. Like we were saying before, I think it's tears of a recognition of a really big yawning gap and opportunity that we're aching for. And I've, I've been listening to you and I know that there'd be some women feeling this way, perhaps, that, you know, the extent of male fragility, I think, is, is, is broader, bigger, deeper than we realise. And especially the, mentally. Yeah, mentally, and we can, you know, we can have different interpretations of what we mean by that. But, but even beyond the cellular kind of hormonal level, even at a societal emotional level, what we're seeing, the fragility is 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 palpable, and it doesn't take much for it to crack, and and we all suffer when it does. I also feel that there's women who are probably thinking, gosh. We've got to make so many allowances. We've got to, you know, shape, shift, mind map, strategize our way to bringing up boys in a way where they can flourish and become really great men and to manage our relationships with men. I think women take on the mental load, the emotional load for a bunch of things. And this adds yet another thing we feel we need to take care of, you know, that we've got to sort of work out a way to help men get to this point because, you know, as you're suggesting, that the vulnerability is real. Also, I get the distinct sense there's a long way to go. If we're, if we're just trying to get men to kind of get in touch with their feelings or to have the confidence to, to step up and be a father, I mean, that's a long way from where we need to be. So, so what do you say to that? Maybe what do you say to women but also men who are concerned about this? You know, and I know you did a radio interview on one of those breakfast shows, I think it was, with Kate Ritchie where you brought up the mental load and you were talking about it and I was watching the video version of it. The blokes kind of sat there. They had no idea what you were talking no about. No idea. No idea. And and then Kate Ritchie burst into tears. She was obviously at the point that I think a lot of mm. mums listening yeah. to this are totally. at and I think – women broadly yep. are at, we've had enough. Yes. We want to, we want this to work out, but we are exhausted yep. from it. And for anyone listening, you can, yeah. I'll put the link um, in the show notes. It's a wonderful moment where yep. vulnerability and, and afterwards the guys are really falling over themselves to kind of go, oh, what's going on here? But they still don't no, get, they it. get it. And, yeah. they, and they went to laughter, which is often what they do when they feel uncomfortable. 
You're absolutely right. So that whole thing, remember I talked about the guys going out to kill mammoths and things like that. Well, we were biologically wired as women to do everything. We were the complete organisers. However, the whole notion of team parenting now says, okay, you're stepping up. And one of the best ways is that we have a very specific list. You know, like to do the lunches, most females are just, you know, we'll be able to do it. But some days, depending on what's going on for a guy because of the single focus of the brain, he'll forget what he did three weeks ago. So it's great that you can sit down together and put some lists in the pantry for if that moment happens. And I mean, the the episode with Bluey where he goes to the pool, Bandit goes to the pool and forgets the sunscreen, the the refreshments and any food and... Every every household has faced that where the dad's... Exactly, right. It's dad's day to take the kids to the the beach or something. He doesn't want to muck up, Mm. but I think sometimes we've got to sit down and recognise we are the biologically wired, definitely, but we shouldn't have to be the reminders, no question. But if we're just going to whinge and complain about it rather than do really practical strategies, okay? And the other thing is, thank goodness for texting, because sometimes that text really, you know, is, is, is just... You're going to, you know, you know, oh, is that one more thing on my list? But the thing I'm really exasperated about is I don't know how you can split all the endless messages that come from when you've got kids at school or playing extracurricular so they go to dad's phone. Because yeah. they come to, like, because it's, it's way too much. We have complicated that. It is frying mainly women's brains. You know, I used to get one note at the bottom of the bag maybe once a week of the oldest boy, and that covered everything that was happening at school. So, you know, technology's kind of messed up a whole lot of stuff, and I have to every now and then say on that to-do list for women, you know, you've got to tame that head that's that's trying to – because you've been put into a competition. We didn't have competitions before about parenting, and then we're wired for compare despair, and then we look at those ones who look like they've got all their shit sorted – and then we beat ourselves up. It's just some of those patterns that I'd love, you know, at the end of the day, if you can afford therapy, please do it. But at the end of the day, we're, we've got to cut some of that stuff off and go, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And we have shifted some of that load. And the difference is, interestingly, shifted the load. But when dad's home with the kids, because mum's doing a late shift on something, she's still texting every 25 minutes to see he hasn't forgotten. Now we've got to let go. It's like there's two ways to change a nappy and they're both effective. Does it matter if the onesie's not over the top of the leggings? No, it doesn't, right? No child was harmed. So we've also got to learn to let go and they've also got to learn to step up. And I think, you know, doing it in a quiet moment instead of an arguing moment, really step up as co-parents saying this is a team now and I'm really going to appreciate you can take some of this stuff out of my head. Those male co-hosts on the radio show, if you were able to go and chat to them about how they might want to pay attention to this, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them to go, fellas, the mental load, it's not fair and and women have had enough? So pretty sure that's exactly what I would say. That was, like I said, didn't come into their, the way that they think and process stuff in the world. You know, one of the things I'm really well known, can I show you the Ben story? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the Ben story is, there is a tendency for males to be focused, overly focused on something in one moment. Whereas one thing at a time. One thing at a time, right? And so, you know, it's Tuesday night and, you know, dad's forgotten it's been night, right? So mum's just going, oh, how can he forget it? It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday every week. How can anyone forget been night? So it's and he's got precisely seven responsibilities yes, or totally, something on the right? list. And on my I've list gone. of things I've got mm. to do, right? And really start losing it. Whereas in actual fact, he's probably got something on his mind that's so either there's a big problem at work that he's processing and trying to work through or the second one he's doing is footy tipping or <laughs> three, he has a rash on his scrotum, which has really temporarily shifted his focus. And so can we just go up and rub his arm, you know, punch him on the arm and go, hey, babe, Tuesday night, midnight. And he'll go, oh, yeah, and he'll race off and do it. And it's so interesting the number of times I've said that and that has improved our marriage. And I had a dad come up to me one seminar and he said, I knew it was our 10th wedding anniversary, Maggie, in the morning and I knew it was at lunchtime and I work in a tyre company and this massive truck came in and it just was a nightmare all afternoon and when I walked in at 7 o'clock, yeah, it wasn't good. But I, she didn't believe me that I'd remember till lunchtime. But on his face, he had I tears know. in his eyes. But the and woman I said, then goes, what, do you want a medal for remembering yes, lunchtime? Right? Like for Same God's sake. Same thing, right? So take the steps the week before rather than the day 
because there's that risk of a single focus that can derail your capacity to remember. Yeah, so, I mean, and that should be on the man. Set up some systems. Set up your own systems. Yeah. And it's really good because you can now. Mm. Like one of my boys, I said, oh, don't think, I'm terrible. Have you got an anniversary coming? It's all right, Mum, it's on my phone. Yeah. It's on my calendar. I yes, use the calendar. Do you know what I'd love to see? Some of those bro podcasters that do lots of productivity, ice bath, maximise your potential <laughs> stuff, right? What if they just put all of their yes. attention into showing men how to set up systems that so support. that they can take yes. responsibility? They can play the team. Exactly. As a parent. Oh, my gosh. That's a oh, gem. There's an opening for a podcast. Totally. Fellas. Anyway, we might have to finish there because I've gone well over the t- allotted time <laughs> that I have with you. I could talk to you about this stuff forever and perhaps we, we just will but elsewhere off air. Maybe what do you we reckon? do girls next time. Yeah. Because I'm sure still trying to that. understand them and you probably are too. Yeah, I am. I am, definitely. Thank you so much, Sarah, for shining a light on this because... Thanks for all your I care. I really want, you know, all of us to have a world where our men you know, can thrive and not choose to die when things get tough. Yeah, and I'd like to see a world where we can all relax into each other and ebb and flow and and we, we do need less polarisation, we need less fragmentation and it can start at the micro level and expand outwards and, yeah, you've provided some wonderful tips for helping all of us step up in a way that's not too compromising. And there's certainly, certainly an invitation there for men to really, I think, I think lift the game a little bit, become the lighthouse to a, a boy down the yeah, road. Boy down the road. Um, don't Save wait for a woman to tell you how to do it. No. Set up your systems, start a podcast, whatever it might be. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. You might have picked up in that conversation a number of things. Firstly, my fondness for Maggie. She's another elder in my orbit who I'm drawn to as I navigate, I guess, more and more complex subjects. I adore the warmness that these kinds of, well, women and men come forward with when they come towards me and their tears. And there were a few in our conversation today. Women like Maggie I see as kind of feeling a responsibility to continue their work well beyond retirement age. You know, they feel a responsibility to take us to those meeting points with our collective tears. They're the best suited to do that. Now, you might also have picked up on a little bit of pushback from me on this idea that fixing, quote unquote, boys and men is another thing that women need to roadmap, steer, take responsibility for and add to their to-do list. Women are exhausted from it. When Maggie suggests tactics we need to employ to coax better behaviour from men, like remembering to take the garbage out, I have to admit I bristle and I kind of internally groan and roll my eyes. But her point is that the system has seen men and boys go backwards. And like all things that have been damaged by the system, it will take work to bring them back to a healthy starting point. And women's skills and our particular privilege in this specific instance, namely the way that schooling and parenting works to female advantage with developing emotional and psychological skills, are best suited to this gig. Her point is to show ways to make it less of a burden, to reframe it as something that takes us to those meeting points with our collective tears and our care. That said... The emphasis, I feel, needs to be about equipping boys and men to step up. I like the idea of blokes stepping forward and being a lighthouse figure for a kid down the road, a nephew, a friend's son, and not waiting to be told or not waiting for someone to organise a group or a system or a structure for doing this. I also think the buy a boy a guinea pig trick is also very clever. I also like the idea of seeing some of boys' behaviour as something to benefit from, not to just tolerate. This idea of aggression nurturance, I have certainly benefited from it over the years. And I think robust play or interacting with boys in this kind of wrestling, crush-tackling way builds resilience in us all. And resilience is something we're going to need a lot of going forward. It made me think that the path forward is probably going to be, or will have to be, one that entails a lot less resistance, a lot less seeing things as a burden, and a lot more working with the loving, humane openings. 
And all this said, and perhaps not with the cynicism you might think is there, I do think a bro needs to do a podcast on hacks for, I don't know, slaying Tuesday garbage night, bringing in the washing without the pegs attached to the sheets like a warrior and accepting responsibility for mistakes and failings, no gaslighting or lashing out, particularly at women, like a Joseph Campbell hero. I mean, the world needs this kind of podcast. What do you reckon? Anyway, next week, I'll return with a more structured chat, I hope. I'm very open to suggestions for other topics at all times and for other wild experts that you'd like featured here on Wild. And a reminder, I read all comments and suggestions that are posted in the comments section over at Substack. So put your suggestions over there. Also, don't forget to share this and any episodes you like with friends. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and you don't have to do that annoying search thing, which I find super clunky with both Apple and Spotify. Okay, I think that's about it. As we like to say here, stay wild. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.